0: welcome to the podcast of snooze you lose i'm your host carl this is a podcast about some strange weird wacky messed up gross and questionable news stories from around the world past and present some really fucked up shit and i'm back Woo! it's been a while um thanks for joining me if you're a returning listener, then that's great. Um, I guess you're happy I'm back. Uh, I'm going to bring you all the fucked up news stories from around the world, of course. Um, I was gone on a little hiatus there for a little bit. You know, we finished up with the holidays. We finished up that terrible fucking year with the virus that we're not really through yet. So this is going to be another slow year, guys. The vaccine's out. Everyone needs to smart the fuck up so we can get through the virus. Um, it's always going to be here in our lives, but let's hope. Let's hope this year goes a little bit better. Things can go back to normal. We can go to sporting events. We can go to concerts. We can go to parties. We can stop wearing the goddamn mask. Which, hey, just wear your fucking mask. If you don't like to wear the mask, or you think this virus is a hoax, then you're a fucking idiot. Sorry, but it's a real virus, and it's killing lots of people, and the hospitals are overwhelmed. And if you think it is a bunch of bullshit, then why don't you go volunteer at the hospital and see how that goes for you? So anyways... Um you're probably wondering, "Oh, so what's Carl do?" Hmm, he's never around doing his podcast very much. Is that his profession? No, it's not my profession. It's more of a hobby. I'm not really making much money from it because, you know, I I guess I need to stay more consistent with it and we need to grow. Uh speaking of growing, then maybe you can tell your dog, you can tell your wife, you can tell your mistress, you can tell your brother, tell your sister, tell the dude at the store about Snoozy Lou's podcast, all the fun shit um that we talk about. Um, so, basically, there's a little bit about myself, my profession, my profession, (laughs) my profession is actually, um, I guess you could call it profession, um, a silk screen printer, um, for a promotional company, basically what that is, is putting custom graphics, logos on clothing, anything from t-shirts, to pants, to hoodies, to bags, all kinds of shit like that, it's a pretty fun job. Um, if you want to check out some of my work, it's on Lose podcast at Instagram. Uh, that's pretty much the only media social media platform that I'm active on. I think the other ones are a little bit shitty myself, uh, like Twitter and Facebook. It's kind of blah. Maybe I could do more on Twitter, I guess. Facebook, forget it. What I post on there might offend people. Oh my god. Well, if you found this podcast and you're new, then yeah, some of the articles that I feature are... Uh, maybe offensive. A lot of them are funny. I'm uh, not offensive Offensive in a way where I'm going to start bashing people and shit like that and shaming people. If anything, I'm just reading the articles. I'm not the one actually doing it. So you know what I mean? I'm just passing along the good word. <laughs> uh, what else do I do? Oh, uh, recently, a couple months ago, I also picked up a part-time job. I'm doing food deliveries. You know, those apps that you use. Um where you order food and you watch the driver come to you and also in the app you can tip them which I find that a lot of my customers are very good tippers, which is great. Some of them are not good tippers and here's a tip for you guys that use these delivery apps that like to get your food delivered. If you're ordering from a restaurant that's really far away um, and you see maybe the delivery time is like 40 to 60 minutes or longer um you would want to leave a good tip for the driver um and that's because you're more likely to get a driver fast they'll pick up the order and get it to you as fast as possible i'm not saying they don't take their time with the orders because our shifts are time sensitive because obviously we drop off as, as quick as we can drop off one order we can take in another order and make more money um the reason i'm saying is because you live far away to tip well is because hey think about it time and gas Am I really going to drive fucking 20 kilometers for a dollar tip? No, I'm not. Uh, the company I work for, which I technically don't work for them. I'm not going to plug them right now because they're not a sponsor of my show. But I'm more like a contract worker for them. They kind of pay me a little bit of a base pay per delivery. And then it's up to the customer to bump that number up. So, on average, most orders are 11 to $12, which is fine. Um, but when you have to drive really far out of your delivery area... I will decline those. I will decline those a lot. I will decline those all day. Not only me, but other drivers will do that as well. So there's a good chance that your food is going to take longer to get to you and it's going to be cold by the time it arrives there. So you either should order from a place that's closer to you or be willing to fork out a good tip just to get it to you. Okay. That's my, that's my little rant for today. Um, be good to your driver, tip your driver. All right which reminds me, let's get to our first story here. Woo-hoo, this is exciting. It's great to be back. Um, if you're new, um, yeah, check out all the previous episodes that I've done. It'll be very similar to the episode you're about to listen to now. We always have lots of fun on here and I always have like the craziest stories. Um, so yeah, so speaking about tipping your driver, I have an article here from 2fab.com. Um, it's a, it's from a delivery driver, a DoorDash delivery driver. And let's just say she, Traveled really far and didn't get a tip, but let's see what transpired next. Have a listen. I them. drove 40 minutes and it was extremely fast. driver <laughs> man! How you believe it, thank you. Actually... Uh oh. Well, the driver wants to speak to the person that ordered the food. I need to speak to you and I don't think you realize this is the where they're coming from so I need to speak to you. Where what's coming from? It's where the food you ordered is coming from. I don't think you realize the distance that it comes from because then you would never actually have given what you would give. So I think... You can come and see face-to-face. Because I drove 40 minutes. I drove 40 minutes, and it was extremely far, and I got it you early. So I don't think you realize where you work from. Mother.
1: I'm
0: not, I don't understand. Um, Do you know understand. Well, you from? Know. From where? From the restaurant that you ordered from. Do you realize how far it is? you realize you're ordering some Colmack and you're in Smithtown? That's a, that's a 15, 20 minute drive. It's not. You need to try to drive it. I just drove it. It's 40 minutes. It's, it's 12 and a half miles. So I don't think you realize how far it is. So, so I what think you think should... have to pick up if you think it's that far. They don't let us know how far. So I think you need to adjust your tip to make it right. How much is the tip? gave an $8 tip. What the hell are you looking for? Not bad, not bad. I gave an 8 Okay, I'm going to bring the phone back. I'm going to bring the feedback. Okay. This lady's a little bit... Okay. Uh, did she? <laughs> oh, kidding? All right, so basically, yeah, she complained. She got an $8 tip Um, through her delivery company. Maybe they gave her 4 or $6. I'm not sure exactly where she is. Maybe she's in the States. Um, So, yeah, so to me as a driver i can see exactly how far i'm going so like i said i would decline this this girl herself um maybe she should have just fucking dropped the food off shut up count her losses um maybe she doesn't decline orders maybe she's too maybe she's new and too stupid to realize that um maybe she (laughs) but yeah maybe she's too new and too stupid to realize that hey I drove this far for nothing. I just wasted all my gas. But, you know, now you're going to flip out. Now you're on camera. And now you're gone viral. So, yeah, maybe this lady was having a bad day. Maybe she was menstruating. Maybe she was on the rags, you know? I think that's both the same thing, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Maybe she is having a piss-poor relationship at home and decided to take take it out on this guy. Maybe she hates her fucking job. Maybe she's just a cunt. Anyways, uh, long story short is... She didn't get more of a tip, and she took the guy's food. Whatever she did with it, I have no clue, and I would like to think that she's probably not a delivery driver anymore, so she really fucked that up. Um, I like to take pride in my deliveries, of course, but I also like to reject the ones because it's a part-time job. I don't really care to have to, you know, go and hustle. I mean, I do have a certain amount that I do want to make every week, and I've been on track to do that, and I've been doing a good job, but I ain't driving 20 kilometers either for a few bucks. Fuck that. That is just a waste of time, gas, and money. It's pointless. How can you make a profit like that? You can't. So anyways, like I said, tip your driver. Public service announcement. (laughs) Alright, so let's get to the next story here. Um, This is from sciencealert.com. A man injected magic mushroom tea into his veins and fungus grew inside of him. What the fuck? Okay, so we all know about magic mushrooms. um, Psilocybin. Um... It can basically bring you to another dimension. If you take a, if you take enough of that shit, man, you're going to another dimension. You feel good. You feel like your brain is reset. You feel like you're another person, which for some people is really good. Um, actually, recently in the news in the past year or two, they have been microdosing with uh, magic mushrooms to help people with PTSD, anxiety, and all that stuff. So, I mean, hey, it has some great benefits. This guy decided to take it one step further. A man brewed a tea from magic mushrooms and injected the concoction into his veins. Several days later, he ended up at the emergency room with the fungus growing in his blood. Ew, gross. The man spent 22 days in the hospital, fuck, with 8 of those days in the intensive care unit where he received treatment for multi-system organ failure. Wow. Now released, he is still being treated with a long-term regime regime of antibiotic and antifungal drugs, according to a description of the case published January 11th in the Journal of blah blah blah, the case didn't reveal whether injecting shroom tea can cause persistent psychoactive effects, as sometimes seen when people ingest the fungus orally. The doctors wrote in the report. So basically, what he did, he tried to inject it and give himself like a really fucking really good high from it. I guess he inge- I guess um, taking it orally wasn't good enough for him, so he decides to inject it like heroin. Jesus Christ. For example, in rare cases, people can develop a condition called hallucinogenic induced persisting perception disorder, HPPD, where they experienced vivid flashbacks of their trip long after the fact, according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse. The case underscores the need for ongoing public education regarding the dangers attendant to the use of this and other drugs in in ways other than they are prescribed, the doctors wrote. By injecting shrooms into his bloodstream, the 30-year-old patient had hoped to relieve symptoms of bipolar disorder, and opioid dependence, according to the report. Okay, so he was already fucked up injecting shit into his body, which makes sense. Um, his family members noted that he recently stopped adhering to his prescribed bipolar medications and was cycling between depressive and manic states. Not good. The man found online reports that describe the potential therapeutic effects of hallucinogens, such as LSD, psychosylbin, mushrooms... Um, which prompted him to boil down shrooms into mushroom tea, which is normal if you drink it, but he filtered the tea by drying it through a cotton swab before injecting it into his body. In the following days, he became lethargic and nauseated, and his skin began to yellow. He soon developed diarrhea and began vomiting. His family found him and took him to the emergency room, noting concern that he also seemed very confused. The doctors noted that he could... Not participate in meaningful interview due to his altered mental state. So maybe he was tripping on the shrooms or he was just that fucking sick. Uh, multiple organs, including the liver and kidneys, began to fail and the man was transferred to the ICU. His blood tested positive for a bacterial infection with the microbe. Let's see if I can pronounce this. Bre... <laughs> Brevibacillus. Brevibacillus? I... I don't know. A fungal infection from... Psygoslobin, cuneces, fuck's sakes, big words again. Meaning the magic mushroom he injected was now growing in his blood. Oh, wow. Gross. Um, in addition to antibiotic and antifungal drugs, the man needed to be replaced on a ventilator after he experienced acute respiratory failure. <gasps> Maybe it was COVID. <laughs> no. Uh, where fluids build up in the ear sacs of the lungs. Holy fuck, that is not good. Thankfully, the patient survived this ordeal and was later discharged from the hospital. Research suggests that psilocybin may be a promising treatment for depression, anxiety, and substance abuse. Yeah, like I said, magic mushrooms can treat certain things, if they are taken safely. Uh, In most research studies, scientists administer the drug in pill form, but in a few instances, doctors have delivered magic mushrooms via an intravenous injection, according to a 2018 report. But These injections are given in tightly controlled doses and under medical supervision, and they do not contain any fungi. fungi. The compound, Syllabin, Alone is not alive and cannot grow in the body. When used recreationally, magic mushrooms are typically made into tea, eaten raw or dried. ground into powder and put in capsules or coated in chocolate. They are not injected directly into the bloodstream. No shit. Um, mushrooms uh, mushrooms induce mind-altering trips by interacting with certain receptors in the brain. Specifically, the psilocybin breaks down into silicin, a substance that acts... Like the brain chemical serotonin, which plays roles in mood and perception, which makes you happy. But a bad trip can trigger anxiety, fear, and confusion, as well as elevated blood pressure, vomiting, headaches, and stomach cramps. Magic mushrooms carry an added risk because they resemble some species of poisonous mushrooms, so people sometimes consume the wrong kind by mistake. Um, several U.S. cities have already decriminalized magic mushrooms, and in November 2020, Oregon moved to legalize its use as a therapeutic drug. As of now, magic mushrooms is still classified as a Schedule I substance under federal law, meaning the drug has no accepted medical use in the U.S. and has a high potential for abuse. However, current research suggests that hits that this potential for abuse has been historically overestimated and is actually quite low. So yeah, it's not very common that people will abuse magic mushrooms, but you could definitely go on a bad trip. And you definitely, definitely don't want to inject this shit into your veins, okay? So another public service announcement. Not only do I come and bring you all the fuck up shit stories... But I like to give you a public service announcement: How to stay safe out there. Because I'm not sure if some of my listeners are that bright. <laughs> yeah, you are. You're very bright because you came to the right spot. <laughs> hey, don't don't stop the show. Keep listening. Okay, I got more stories to tell you guys. Jesus Christ. If you're offended, then yes, you are at the wrong place. Goodbye. <laughs> All right, let's get to the next. Um, let's get to the next. Uh... article here just when you think your life is bad or maybe you've had some moments where good things would have happened but didn't happen and now you stew about them the rest of your life and you're like fuck i woulda coulda shoulda well how about the man um that owns bitcoin this article is from cbc.com This man owns $321 million in Bitcoin, but he can't access it because he lost his password. All right, guys, you probably heard about digital currency before, how it's kept in a digital wallet on a fucking hard drive, and only you can have the access to the password. But sometimes you forget your password, right? Isn't that life? forget your password, your fucking email or whatever, your Facebook, your Instagram. Maybe you have to go and do a uh, password reset, which is fine which is pretty easy to do, but apparently with CryptoCoin and all this digital currency shit, it's not that easy. And Stefan Thomas, he has only two guesses left before he's locked out of his fortune forever, his $321 million. Stefan Thomas is a Bitcoin millionaire, or he would be, only if he could remember his password. San Francisco software developer and CEO was an early adopter of Bitcoin. Back in 2011, he produced an animated video explaining how the digital currency works. For his efforts, a Bitcoin enthusiast awarded him with 7,002 Bitcoins. Later that year, he lost the password to his Iron Key, the USB hard drive that contains the digital wallet that holds his Bitcoins. Since then, the currency's value has skyrocketed, and Thomas' holdings are worth 220 million US dollars or 321 million Canadian dollars. The iron key gives users 10 password guesses before it encrypts its contents permanently. And Thomas's Bitcoin is lost forever. He has two guesses left. That almost seems like a bit of a scam, hey? You know what I mean? It's like, no, you can't even really do a password reset. Is this just how to make it, you know, as safe and secure as possible? Is this where you should have written down your fucking password for once and kept it in a safe spot? (laughs) Here's the part of the conversation as it happens. Uh, Let's see. Oh, yeah, he was on a show, blah, blah, blah. Um, Stefan, how is it possible that one measly little password stands between you and hundreds of millions of dollars? Yeah, it's really a good question, isn't it? Okay, this happens, right? We all know we lose our passwords, and so a little thing comes up when we're going to our bank or whatever that says, did you forget your password? And then you push it, and then you go through a business of changing your password. So that's not available to you, just as I talked about. No, Bitcoin is a decentralized system. And so if you hold your Bitcoins like I did in a completely independent wallet, so not with an exchange, not with a bank, not with any kind of institution but yourself. Oh, so you're holding with yourself. So yeah, you're not even, yeah. So it's up to you. <laughs> it's up to you to remember this shit. There's not a company that's going to help you out with this. So there's no recovery process for this. Um, it's like gold. If you lose it, you lose it. Um. Since then, a lot of people have come up with all kinds of clever solutions like, you know, metal wallets where you can put down your secret keys and things like that. But most of that didn't exist back then. Back then, you had to come up with your own solution. And apparently, I didn't do a very good job of that. Um, So, we know that it's been a very good year for Bitcoin. How many people do you think are not able to access their fortunes? In the New York Times article about this, they had an estimate. Which is something like 140 billion US dollars or 128 billion Canadian dollars is locked up in these wallets. So you can imagine it's probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who are in my situation. But I think they said it was a 20% of all the Bitcoin accounts are owned by people who can't access them. Jesus Christ. So like a fifth? One in five people can't access their fucking Bitcoins? Yeah, I think a good chunk of that, especially like some of the larger ones were with the very early wallets. So, you know, at the time, it may have been less money. So no one really gave a shit. Um, in my case, it was $179,000 Canadian at the time, which was a huge amount for me, like an incomprehensible amount even then. But of course, you know, once you can't access it and the price goes up, the number just gets bigger and bigger. So what is it it like for you? I mean, how many sleepless nights do you have thinking about the fact that you have 200 million dollars that you can't get at? Fuck, isn't that an unnerving feeling? I mean, as much as I don't want that feeling, knowing that you have that much money too is a good feeling. But then not accessing it is a bad feeling. It's like dangling it in front of you and you can't fucking grab it. So anyways, he goes on to say, after I realized I lost the coins, I was completely destroyed. Like, when I think back to that, it's hard to even wrap my head around how I felt in those couple of weeks, and I tried everything, I would stay up all night trying different ideas of how to recover it, or just like staring at the ceiling for hours, you know, just what you imagine you would do if you lost that sort of money, and then after a couple of weeks of that, I got to a point where I started to realize that the chances of recovery are not very good, and we'll get into, you know, what that last glimmer of hope is in a moment, So I sort of had to make a decision, right? Like, either I let this define the rest of my life, and I keep thinking back to it, and I just, you know, like you said, (laughs) lose sleep for the rest of my life, or I just, you know, face the fact that this money is gone, these bitcoins are gone, and I move forward, and I get back to work, and I choose the latter. So what's the glimmer of hope? The famous USB stick with the 10 tries. There is a way to take a scanning electron microscope and take apart the physical chip and literally go into the silicon chip and take away layer by layer, like a few atoms thick and then read out the actual sorry, and then read out the actual memory cells. and then with that technique, you should be able to bypass that limit of 10 tries. And then you can have a supercomputer try, you know, billions of passwords per second. Okay, so you're basically, ha- he basically wants to hack into the USB stick that he needs, which I mean, at this point, for that much money, it's probably worth a shot. Now, the problem with that is, first of all, that requires a specialized laboratory. It's very expensive. Only a few people in the world can do it. And even then, it's kind of a high risk. It could just fail. Then the chip is destroyed, and you won't get a second try. But at this point, it seems like that might be his only option, correct? (laughs) Back then, it definitely wasn't worth it. I think now it probably was worth it, but it still requires a lot of organizing and logistics, and even then, it's not guaranteed. Now that this has been in the news, I'm getting lots and lots of people reaching out, some of who are the types of people who have access to that kind of equipment and the kind of expertise needed. So I'm talking to them, you know, if we should attempt a recovery and, like, what it would cost, etc., Oh, so what happens? I mean, hundreds of millions are now sort of locked up. Where does it go? Who gets it? Uh, well, because I'm selling those Bitcoins... Oh, no, sorry. Because I'm not selling those Bitcoins, that means there's a little bit less supply in the market. So potentially the price is even higher, right? Other holders in profit, in theory, profit. Although you have to imagine, like, because of this risk, maybe there are... People that maybe don't invest in Bitcoin because they're worried about this exact same thing. And so maybe that kind of makes up for it and kind of reduces the price. So again, that's probably almost a better question for the economist to figure out. Um, blah, blah, blah. So this experience has definitely changed my opinion about Bitcoin in terms of when I was one of those people, I was very excited about it. You know, everything can be their own bank and sort of thing. I know there's a lot of Bitcoin experts listening to me right now saying that this could never happen to me. But for me personally, like I kind of was very humbled by that experience. Nowadays, my belief is that I think it's really nice that we live in a free country where we can have the choice and we could hold our own Bitcoins if we want to. And I think that's a right. I would fight for preserving that. And there have been some discussions in the US about maybe not allowing that into the future. And I think that's something I'm absolutely against. But at the time, at the same time, I think that As a practical matter, for most people, it's probably better to hold their bitcoins with a custodian, like an institute that specializes in securing and storing bitcoins. Just so you don't have this problem. Alright, so yeah, I mean, to me, if I was this guy, I would mm, probably take a chance to see if you can get into it. But like you said, it could be expensive. He may pay tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. To get his USB stick, you know, to a place where okay, we can get the password, we can access the money, but there's also a chance that it gets destroyed, lost forever, and he loses money. And I'm sure the laboratory that wants to access his money would also like a little bit of a commission against it as well. I know I certainly would. Uh, I don't have any Bitcoin myself. Um, at the current time of this podcast, I believe when I've checked it out the other day. One Bitcoin was equal to $47,000 Canadian. Like Holy fucking shit. That's digital online currency for you. Pretty crazy. If you were to invested in it back in the day, well, congratulations. And if you can access your Bitcoin, good for you. I do kind of wish I had some, but I don't. All right, let's get to the next article here. HuffingtonPost.ca uh, This is weird news. A man whose parents threw out his porn collection wins lawsuit against them. And you know what? I think this may have been an article that I featured on a very early podcast of myself. Um, the parents threw out his porn collection and he sues them. Uh, the plaintiff hopes to be rewarded awarded $75,000 for the destroyed property. Let's check this out. A Michigan man who sued his parents for throwing out his prized pornography collection is now in line to collect a hefty reimbursement from them. In a ruling handed down by U.S. District Judge Paul Paul Maloney, Beth and Paul Working will have to pay their son David, who's 42, as much as $75,000 for destroying the porn. Oh my god, stop the humanity. (laughs) David Working won a summary judgment in the case. Now that's a lot of, $75,000 worth of porn, that's a lot of fucking porn. Or does he have, maybe he has like, you know, um, rare Rare magazines, rare DVDs. I mean, just motherfucker just has a lot of porn that he's collected over the years. So he's 42. He would have probably been collecting those DVDs when he was younger as well. Uh, maybe he has a lot of, <laughs> maybe he also has a lot of online accounts too, I would assume. Um, so, so David won a summary judgment in the case and he and his parents have until mid February to fire, file the written submissions on the damages in his lawsuit the younger working valued the property at an estimated 25,000. Okay, so it was $25,000 worth of porn. But his attorney told the outlet that we have asked the court for treble charges which we believe are warranted given the wanton destruction of the property. He added, this was a collection of often irreplaceable items and property um, he moved into his parents' home in Glenhaven on the estates eastern shore of Lake Michigan in 2016 after he got divorced. Okay, so he went back to his parents' pad. He, he actually did leave. He didn't live there forever. He left, came back with his porn. After he moved in to Indiana a few months later, he discovered he was missing 12 boxes of porn. Wow, 12 boxes of pornographic films and magazines. Um... The dad apparently confessed to destroying the collection in an email. Frankly, David, I did you a big favor by getting rid of all this stuff. In other emails, he told his son he was shocked by many of the scenes in the collection, which he claimed depicted in sensual, incestual, <laughs> sexual relationship, sex with minors and animals, sexual assault and sleep. What the fuck? Sex with minors and animals. Okay, this is just, this is just, he should probably be in more trouble than he is, so... But then again, the dad got rid of the evidence, and this is only word for word of what he did. <laughs> his word against his son's word, and now he wants to sue your dad. Wow. That you would buy and watch films depicting such violence is beyond the pale, his dad wrote. I have no words to express the depth of my shock and disappointment. Believe it or not, one reason for why I destroyed your porn was for your own mental and emotional health. I would have done the same if I had found a kilo of crack cocaine. Oh, wow. At least sell that shit make some money. He <laughs> could have even sold the porn, for fuck's sakes. Now he's getting sued. Has to pay his son back. The son denied any of his porn. pornographic was illegal. A review in the materials by the Sheriff's Department in Ottawa County, Michigan, found no evidence of child pornography and no charges were filed in the matter. Oh, that's good. A detailed list of his porn collection was entered into the court record showing that it included 1,605 individual titles of pornographic DVDs and VHS tapes and at least 50 sex toys and paraphernalia. Holy fuck. Okay, um, going back to why he moved back to his parents' house and he got divorced. Hmm. I think he was a little bit of a sex freak. (laughs) And thanks for listening. That was Snooze You Lose. I hope you enjoyed it. Have you had some crazy shit happen to you? I'd love to hear about it. Reach out to me at Snooze You Lose Podcast on Instagram. I'll give you a shout out. I'd love to hear from you. Till next time. Bye.